September 2nd, 2013. We One is posted everywhere until we do. This beautiful painting was done by Christina Hess. She is amazing. And then I just added the We One over the top of it for our posters that are around our house. I believe in the power of intention and have printed these up and hung them all over the house and on my desktop as wallpaper. It is to celebrate the future where cub handling is banned worldwide. That was pretty short. How about September 29th, 2013? The calls you never hear about. We do a pretty good job of letting you and our outside supporters know about the work we do to save exotic cats, but there are a lot of calls and emails that you never hear about because it turns out to be a case of mistaken identity or we never find the cat, the person who calls. That was somebody that thought they saw a bobcat and it was a domestic cat. So I just wrote her back and said, here's a picture of what a bobcat looks like. Um, we do a pretty good job of letting you and our outside supporters know about the work we do to save exotic cats, but there are a lot of calls and emails that you never hear about because it turns out to be a case of mistaken identity. How ironic is that? <laughs> or we never find the cat or the person who calls saying that they want us to rec rescue their cat drops off the radar before we can make arrangements. We told you some months ago about an injured leopard that we were trying to save, but we have no police powers and none of the agencies who do would intervene. So the cat continues to suffer, if still alive. Sometimes in cases like Tony, the truck stop tiger, the wheels of justice turn ever so slowly, and four years have passed, but we haven't forgotten him, and we'll update you the minute there is something to report. We get countless calls and emails asking us to save black panthers, mostly, and every other imaginable kind of cat but the vast majority of these turn out to be fat domestic cats, hybrid cats who are not regulated, dogs, coyotes, foxes, raccoons, and even nutria. Yeah, big rats. One of those calls ended up in me bringing baby cakes to Janet back from the ASPCA in Largo. They found him wandering in a neighborhood and thought he was a Coatamundi, which was a pretty good guess. Many of the queries we handle by having the caller send a photo, but a lot of times we have to drive out to the scene, wander around in the woods for hours, and then return with nothing to report to you. I know you guys do a lot that I never see too. It's just such a busy day. Some of you, some of you have become experts at knowing when a cat is just not himself and know all of the ins and outs of inventory, check-in, guest relations, cat poop, and more. I am so proud of all of you and want you to know that we are all working to care for the cats who live here and to end the suffering outside our gates. Watching this video is not mandatory, but shows you some of the behind-the-scenes work in our rehab program. We get contacted uh, quite frequently by individuals who have seen a bobcat in their neighborhood and want us to come pick it up and relocate it for them. Our answer is always the same, no. <laughs> um, bobcats that are captured must be relocated relatively close to where they were originally caught. That's the law here. So if we were to um, catch that bobcat and take it to another area of woods, it would just come back. Some people think that shooting the bobcat will get rid of their problem. Um, this is also untrue. Territory is in such high demand that if a resident bobcat is removed, another will move in to occupy the territory relatively quickly. 
Bobcats can live in close proximity to humans without causing problems, and humans can take a few proactive measures to keep bobcats from encroaching on their property. Small farm animals, like chickens and that sort of thing, should be locked up at night. And homeowners that like to feed birds and squirrels in their yard, well, they're just making a huge bobcat buffet, basically. <laughs> Easy prey that's coming there every single day. So these are some of the tips that we give people to try to help them live with their bobcat neighbors. Uh, we also explain that bobcats uh, keep vermin that are a carrier of rabies in check. They eat raccoons and rats and that sort of thing. So bobcats are good neighbors to have. They're found throughout Florida and across the United States. They prefer, prefer deep forests, swamplands, um, but they can also live in very tiny pockets of forest in the middle of developed neighborhoods. Depending on if they live out in big, huge tracts of land or in these neighborhoods, they can survive actually in small areas of like one to two square miles. Um, the bobcat has been the most heavily harvested and traded member of the cat family for the past 20 years. Um, due to the decline in social acceptance, interest in bobcat pelts is decreasing. However, a reported 30,000 pelts are exported every year from the United States. Question? Mm-hmm. Sorry. On the Know Your Prints thing, I can see the prints, but I can't see the, okay. the label next to it. The top one is, a, this is another thing that we get called all the time about. People say they found Florida panther tracks in their yard. Um, so the top one there is a bobcat, and you can see it's quite a bit smaller than that of the, it's not really that to scale, but it's quite a bit smaller. And then the bottom one is dog. So you can see, these aren't really good graphics either, but basically um, a dog track's pretty easy to distinguish because it has two lobes at the bottom and the cat has three. And then a uh, track of a dog, you can draw kind of an X in between the toes and the pad whereas here is not as easy. You'd cut off the top of the pad. So it's just a little bit of a guide to show people if they find tracks in their yard, maybe they could help identify them themselves. So wild bobcats come to Big Cat Rescue for two reasons. The first reason is due to injury, usually the result of having been struck by a car. The bones most often broken are the rear legs or pelvis as the cat is clipped as it's almost crossed the road. Or other times head impact, um, causing brain damage resulting in blindness or mental insufficiency to survive on their own in the wild. Other injuries include disease and birth defects. The rehab process for the bobcats that come to us as a result of an injury is to give the bob, uh, treat the injury, give the bobcat sufficient time to recover in our rehab enclosures, and then release the cat back into the wild. The second reason bobcats find themselves in need of rehabilitation is because they have been orphaned and are too young to care for themselves in the wild. The rehab process for the orphaned bobcats is to wean them from formula as quickly as possible with minimal human contact and uh, or provide a surrogate domestic cat to take, to take care of them. Then we teach them the survival skills using a hands-off approach and finally release the bobcat back out into the wild. 
Bobcats in the rehab program here receive the same veterinary care our permanent residents do. Upon arrival, they undergo a complete physical exam, blood is drawn, and tested for infectious diseases. They are vaccinated and dewormed and flea treated using oral medication because there's no way we could ever get the advantage on them. <laughs> our rehab, we have two rehab enclosures located in the far back corner of the property behind Sundari and Angelica. These enclosures are in a secluded and quiet area so the bobcats uh, can recover with minimal human influence. And they're constructed of the same materials as our other enclosures out here. They have two sections. The inside has rock dens and thick uh, bomas that we build out of cut branches, um, which simulates the hiding spots that they would use in the wild. Because the enclosures are roofed, we are unable to incorporate trees for climbing, so swinging platforms have been installed to offer higher vantage points and some areas to climb on that are unstable. As are the other enclosures at the sanctuary, the rehab cages have two sections separated with the guillotine door. This allows us to shut the bobcat in one side, and that way we can enter to clean or do maintenance. The entire enclosure is covered with a smaller mesh wire to prohibit the escape of live prey. So as you can see, we, there's no way we could clean these cages from the outside. So that's why we have to go in and, and rake them and clean them out. Every part of the cage has to be covered with this mesh because the prey will find a way out. So even the water bowl housing is completely covered. The Florida Bobcats diet consists mainly of the cotton rat, but it also includes rabbits, small birds, turkeys, snakes, bugs, and even ca as captured on this camera trap picture here, they take down deer occasionally. The Bobcats in our rehab program are fed almost exclusively rats during their time with us they will also receive one or two rabbits and every once in a while they'll get a turkey. In order to teach the young bobcats how to hunt we've developed a system that closely mimics uh, the learning process in the wild and it also minimizes the amount of time that we have to spend around the bobcats. This feeding station is the first step to teaching hunting skills. It's a size provides a controlled environment within the rehab enclosure and the design allows the bobcat to enter through the top, but the prey can't escape. It's an ordinary dog crate with a large hole cut in the top, and then a PVC pipe, uh, sh like a chute, allows us to put in food from the outside. And um, it can take the bobcat some time to get used to this system. So when we put a an uh, rehab bobcat out there, we will feed it like a, li a whole prey item uh, in the same area night after night after night. It gets used to eating that certain type of food. And then we'll put that food on top of the crate. And so it looks for its food and it finds it on top of the crate. And then after a couple of nights, it learns to jump on top of the crate every single night for its food. So then we put the prey in the crate. And then it goes up there, doesn't see the food, but sees it in the box, so it goes in. And then we switch it to the live prey. And that's how we kind of build that process with the cat. Once it sees that there's live prey in there and it looks, we've been giving them this same rat every single night and this one's moving, they see it as the same thing that they've been eating and natural instincts kick in and 
They do their job. Closely simulates how the mother bobcat would teach her young to hunt. She would bring back prey to her den site and let her kittens eat, and after a while she'll start to bring them injured prey, and then she'll just bring prey that's not injured at all, <laughs> just slightly stunned, and that's how they teach them to hunt. So once they've become skilled at using the feeding station, which usually takes one or two weeks, we start using these rat tunnels. This is a maze of PVC pipes that are connected to the rehab enclosures. The tunnels allow us to deliver the food from a greater distance away and remove ourselves from the scene before the food becomes available to the cat. As a result, the bobcat's not associating humans with food. At the end of each tunnel is a little drop station with a screw on lid. Uh, the rat is placed inside and then the lid is shut. And the rat tunnels have an unpredictable element that mimics as closely as we can how a bobcat would have to search for its food in the wild. The rat has multiple pathways it can choose um, to take, but each ends up in the rehab enclosure, um, all in different ends of it. The rat can take as long as it wants to navigate the tunnels, which varies the feeding times. And in addition, the rats can use the tunnels to evade the bobcats. So they'll come out one end of the tunnel, run across the cage, and go in another tunnel. So the bobcat has to kind of be on high alert at all times. So one thing I learned making these tunnels is we, you know, it seemed like a great idea. We, we hooked them all up. We put the rat in, went and checked a couple hours later, and the rat was still in that little drop station. So... We tried putting in a different station, and it, it just wouldn't move out of that little box. So we figured that maybe it needed some kind of light source to follow through the tunnel. So we drilled little holes on the underside of the PVC pipe every four or five feet so that it would see light and keep going further and further and further. And after we did that, the rats would navigate the tunnels within five minutes at the, at the least. And some of them took longer, but at least they were finally going through the tunnels and not sitting in that little uh, drop box. During the rehab process, we don't want to spend a lot of time around the cats, so we use surveillance cameras so that we can monitor how they're doing. We have permanent surveillance cameras installed that we can pan and zoom. Uh, some of them have been able to record, and we can look back on several days' worth of footage. We use camera traps or even just little um, handy cams on a tripod set up recording. So this is just like a compilation of some of the clips we've gotten of the cats in the enclosure. So that was an 11-pound bobcat and an 18-pound turkey. She had no problem. So is there any questions <clears throat> about the enclosures or the general care? Because <laughs> next we're going to move on to just some cases that we've had. And, mm -hmm. So because I know we only had the one cage, but then we built the one the fence set. So now will you only take in one bobcat at a time to rehab, or will you take in as many as the, you need to? We have the We have one cage that Khaleesi was in, and then the one you guys built, the smaller one, that's our second full-size yeah. enclosure. So we have two full-size enclosures. 
usually we get maybe one or two at a time. It's not often that we've had multiples come in, but when we have had them, it's lucked out that some of them needed hospital time, mm -hmm. so that by the time they moved out, we kind of coordinated the release of the other ones, but I'm sure if we needed to, we'd throw up a cage in, in an afternoon. <laughs> it's been done before, so. <laughs> Any other questions so far? Not, it was hard for me to pick the cases to put in here because every single one has been so different and you learn something different from each one. So if this is some kind of work that you're interested in, it's, it's rewarding because there's, there's never, it's never boring is what I should say. It's never boring because every time there's some new part of it. So this was the first bobcat that I took care of and she was uh, orphaned at about eight weeks old. We had, prior to her arrival, we had rehabilitated and released a number of adult bobcats that had been injured, hit by cars, whatever. Um, but we've never take, attempted to raise an orphaned kitten to adulthood. Taking on this assignment required designing a whole program that would teach her all the skills that she would need to survive, but at the same time not having her imprint on us. So she was kind of an experiment. And this is when we first designed the feeding station because we had to teach her how to hunt without us being there. <laughs> Once she became skilled at using the feeding station, we expanded the area for her to hunt in. And this is actually uh, one of our previous enclosures. We don't have this one anymore. Florida law says that a wild bobcat ha that has been rehabilitated must be released on a minimum of 40 acres of privately owned land. So that discounts all the state parks. You can't take bobcats and release them in any kind of state park. Lucky for us, we've made friends with some ranch owners that their property borders the state park. So <laughs> we release it on their ranch, and if it goes over there, it's okay. <laughs> We took Faith to the perimeter of the property of this ranch and pointed the crate towards the park on the other side of a little short fence, and she just ran in the complete opposite direction. But eventually she made it over to the park, so it worked out in the end. But in the wild, a uh, bobcat will stay with its mother for up to a year before going out on their own. We always try to coordinate the release of the orphan bobcats to co coincide with that age, as well as springtime when there's a lot more easier prey to catch. Faith was about a year and a half old when she was released. She was released on a 2,000 acre ranch that bordered an 18,000 acre park. Uh, camera traps that we put on the perimeter fence of that park captured images of Faith one year after her release, so we knew that the program had worked for her. This was an extreme close-up of her <laughs> sniffing at the camera. <laughs> so a lot of you guys know Will. Will was picked up two years later. He was found by a homeowner laying in the middle of the yard. It seemed like he couldn't see, and when we went to pick him up and put him in the transport crate, he didn't resist at all. He just let us pick him right up. So at this age and size, he should have ripped our faces off. So we knew something was wrong. His personality was overall dull. He wasn't rowdy like a kitten uh, his age should be. He would run into walls and objects as if he couldn't see them. We had multiple specialists examine him. 
uh, neurologist, an eye doctor, they determined that his eyes, even though they function properly, he suffered some sort of brain damage that prohibits what he sees from being interpreted by his brain. So, in essence, he's blind, and he would be unable to hunt on his own and survive. So he became a permanent resident here, and he lives with Anna. We mostly see him at feeding time. This is Ace. She was found laying on the front steps of an office building. She had been spotted numerous times eating from dumpsters. The surrounding area had virtually no forest, so she was living off of the garbage in the dumpsters. She was extremely emaciated and only weighed 11 pounds when we brought her in. When we take in a rehab, a rehab bobcat, we normally do a full exam and draw blood. Ace was so underweight when she came in that we just put her out in the rehab enclosure and fed her for several weeks trying to fatten her up. And this is actually the picture after she had fattened up. So she was even thinner. She was like three or four pounds thinner before that. How old do you reckon she was when, when you brought her in? Um, that's my next slide. <laughs> <laughs> we estimated her to be well over 15 years old. You can see her teeth are very short nubs and they're very yellowed. She had really bad cataracts in her eyes. Her coat was really dull. And she even after she plumped up, she had a lot of muscle wasting, which is like most of our older cats. You can see it in their back legs where their muscle starts to go away. So when we did the, we got the blood results back, unfortunately she tested positive for FIV, which is a highly contagious disease that attacks the immune system in cats. It's transmitted through blood and saliva, and so an infected cat fighting with another could transmit the disease, and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Department prohibited her from being released. So she lived out the next four years here at the sanctuary before she finally passed away of her disease. Um, there's no cure for FIV, just supportive care that you can give her. She got a lot, a lot of, um, I guess, kind of upper respiratory infections, and she had to be on antibiotics quite a few times. This is Chance. He was found just uh, maybe three miles from the sanctuary. He was on a tennis court and couldn't figure out <clears throat> how to escape the fence that was around it. He appeared to be injured and was captured so we could get a better look. Chance suffered from birth defects. He was found also in a heavily populated area with little forest around. The inability to roam large distances, the bobcats can start to interbreed and it'll result in birth defects of the offspring. Chance had an orange-sized amount of his internal organs that had herniated out of the muscle wall on his side. And the opening in the muscle wall was uh, round and smooth, so it wasn't like a tear that had happened as a result of being hit by a car. So the vets think that he had always had that hole in his side and that some kind of trauma caused his organs to push through the hole. He also was missing his right eye, and this too appeared to be a birth defect. The structure of his whole eye was behind the, the skin there, but it was just really, really small and deformed. Chance recovered from his surgery and was released eight months later. And he was released on the same ranch as Faith. <laughs> and so we kind of did a little roundabout. <laughs> we were lucky for us we were on his blind side. <laughs>
you always wonder when you open that door, is it going to come around, like come right back and get me? <laughs> and so when he made that turn, we were like, oh, just tensed up. Chance stopped by to say hi at one of our camera traps several weeks after his release. Hope uh, was the youngest orphan we had ever taken in. Faith, when we got her, she was eight weeks old, so she was uh, able to be weaned really quickly onto meat. Hope was only four weeks old, so she still had a couple more weeks that she needed to nurse. Um, she was found alone on the side of the road near a recently cleared uh, forest. Her mother could have been transporting the litter due to the development or could have been killed when she was out hunting. We visited the site to listen for cat calls because sometimes when they're moving their kittens, um, if they get disturbed, they might drop one and run off and hide nearby in the woods. And um, so we went back out there to listen to see if we could hear a calling for the kitten. Unfortunately, we did not hear anything. <laughs> because Hope was uh, still nursing, it was imperative that we find a surrogate to care for her. If we were to bottle feed her, she would become too imprinted on humans and would not be a candidate for release. Uh, lucky for us, we put out a call to all of our domestic cat rescue friends and said, you know, hey, we need a mom that's nursing with kittens, and we got like 15 calls in the <laughs> first 15 minutes. So this mom was a good candidate because she had already uh, adopted two kittens that weren't hers, so she was accepting to new kittens. The mama cat, <laughs> she allowed the hope to nurse and kept her clean, and the other two kittens were great playmates, which was fantastic as a, result, a lot of the hunting skills are learned through play. When we, you know, we obviously had to go in and take care of the domestic cats. So when we would have to go, when they were in the hospital or in the rehab enclosure later on, when we'd have to go and take care of them, we would always just ignore Hope. We wouldn't talk to her, we wouldn't look at her, we wouldn't speak around her or speak to the other cats at all. And so she basically grew up to be a feral cat. If you don't give them attention, they become quite wild. So she imprinted on the other cats and looked at us as something to fear. When she was about three months old, she began spending more time on her own, sleeping up on the platforms, not playing with the kittens as much, and she was starting to get a little bit bigger than the kittens and the mom. So we knew it was time to go ahead and separate them, and Regina took two of them home. So Hope was released when she was 11 months old, and again, at the same Ranch as Faith and Chance. <laughs> She's like, are you sure? <laughs> One more look. I always, I always wonder what's going through their head at that point. Like, are they going to start chasing me with nets now? Or <laughs> what just happened? So Bellina's story is a prime example of how expensive rehabilitating an injured bobcat can be. She was found laying on the side of the road. That was a picture of her taken right on the curb. She had been hit by a car. I believe it was like Thanksgiving weekend or something. Yeah. I don't know. She had a severely broken leg, and her tail had been degloved, and so part of it had to be amputated. 
Wild animals will often not tolerate external stabilization, such as a cast or a splint. Um, their instincts tell them that they're trapped, so they'll often chew it off. The best option is internal stabilization, like pins and plates and screws. So a rod and several screws were installed inside her leg to stabilize the bone. The surgery cost over $3,800 and required four months in a small cage in the cat hospital. Unfortunately, when Bellina was finished with her indoor recovery, she was moved to the outdoor enclosure. She became spooked and bolted from the transport cage and ran right into the wall of the enclosure. When she did this, she damaged the rod, and we learned from this lesson to always leave the transport cage covered and only open the door a little bit and then just leave and let them come out at their own time. So you can see on the right, that's what it looked like right after surgery, nice straight rod, tons of screws. And on the left, that's what happened when she ran into the wall. She completely bent the rod, and so the bone healed crooked. A second surgery was required um, to repair her kneecap. Because of the way the rod had bent, it displaced her kneecap. So she required another four months of recovery in the cat hospital and another $1,400 medical bill. After recovering in the cat hospital, it took another eight months of rehabilitation outdoors before she began to use her leg properly. And during that time, she racked up another $1,200 in food costs. And this is where those uh, surveillance cameras really helped us out a lot because when you go out there, they don't want to show you how they're moving around. And we really needed to see how she was walking on that leg after such a big injury and having that rod bend and everything. So we used a lot of surveillance footage to, uh, to determine how she was doing. She was released 16 months after she came to Big Cat Rescue, and she had completely recovered and was finally able to run again. So her total rehabilitation cost was $6,400. Bellina's sur uh, surgery story was a success, but sometimes even though you spend a lot of money on uh, surgery and um, follow-up care, they're not always successful. Skip was an adult male bobcat found on the side of the road after also being hit by a car. He had severe injuries to his pelvis. The pelvis um, on the bottom side, you can see it's all mangled up and it's completely crushed. And on the top side, that whole uh, pelvic bone was dislocated um, from the, disconnected from the spine. The pelvic can canal had also collapsed, leaving a narrow passageway. So you can see the tip of the bone here and this bone. So there's really only this tiny little area for feces to pass through which is way too small. Two metal plates were installed to hold the crushed uh, pelvis together, and those plates would be permanent. And here you can see the large screw that was used um, on the bottom to reconnect that disconnected pelvis, and the plates and screws holding the crushed <laughs> the other side together. When they took out all the bits and everything that had crushed. You could see how long this is compared to how short this is. They actually didn't have enough bone material to, to make it the same length. So they kind of just centered it and then they spread apart this bottom area so that he had double the space for feces to pass through. 
Skip spent eight weeks recovering in the cat hospital, and during this time, because of his injuries were so severe, it was crucial that he remain inactive. He was very unhappy being confined, and so he was on a course of pain medications along with anti-anxiety medications so that he would just sleep and <laughs> recover. He hated being checked up on. He would just hunker down and not move. We weren't able to see how he was doing, if he could even stand up on his own. So this is when we started using webcams in the cat hospital. We set up a webcam on Skip and streamed the feed live, inviting the public to help us keep an eye on him. During this time, Skip became the first cat, BCR cat to have his own fan club. <laughs> This group of individuals from all over the world called themselves the Skipaholics. They turned in at, tuned in at all hours and kept us up to date on if Skip was being too active so we could keep adjusting his medications as needed. They were also the first to catch Skip trying hard to defecate and vomiting immediately after eating. So we knew right away when we heard this that he was, it was a sign of him being blocked up. Skip was taken back to the specialist for follow-up x-rays. Skip regained his ability to walk, however, his pelvic canal, because of him being too active in the enclosure in the hospital, had collapsed a little bit, leaving the canal too narrow for him to pass whole prey, so bones and fur and that sort of thing. So he was going to have to be on a soft food diet, just the mush, for the rest of his life. Um, because he couldn't eat whole prey, he wasn't a candidate for release. And Skip had a massive seizure and passed away... Hmm, nine months nine months after he came here he had no symptoms he was you know he'd go by he was completely fine he was they were doing operant conditioning with him he was getting to I wouldn't say enjoy but he was tolerating captivity a little bit more his body was taken to the University of Florida for a thorough necropsy sections of his brain were tested for rabies which came back negative um, this is a prime example of why you should have your rabies vaccinations when you're working with wild animals. And this is probably the stupidest thing I've ever done, but after he had the seizure, instinct tells you to go in and help the animal. Um. <laughs> I gave him CPR, but I, I used my hand as a funnel but still, there could have been transmission of saliva, so I just exposed myself to rabies. Um, so that was an excruciating couple of days, waiting to see what the results were of that test. She's not crying because she was worried about the been so long too. Lucky for us the, the test results came back negative. Um, I've since gotten my rabies vaccinations which <laughs> is $900 in case anybody's interested in that. They're expensive but they could save your life. I mean when you're working with dangerous wild animals that are in contact with carriers of rabies it's just it's something that you really should do. A definitive cause of death was never determined, other than that he had swelling of the brain, which is most likely caused by a virus, but they couldn't determine what virus that was. His body was sent to uh, California to be part of a study of diseases in wild bobcats, but that was a long time ago and we've never heard anything back. I don't know that we really ever will. <clears throat>
Tommy was a few months old when she arrived. She was very emaciated. She was found uh, wandering near a mine, uh, north about an hour north of the sanctuary. And she, this was my my first most favorite scene where we were called to come pick up a bobcat because usually you're called this bobcat's been hit by a car can you come save it we get out there there's no bobcat there's nobody that saw the bobcat there's a bunch of woods and so we spend the whole day tracking bobcats trying to find this injured animal we got to this place and the guy was out there waiting for us and he was standing next to a box and the bobcat was under the box. He had just walked up and put a box on top of the bobcat. <laughs> so we got there with the van and we said, well, do you have a piece of plywood? And we did it spider style. You know, you got the cup and the piece of paper. We slid the plywood underneath the box, took the whole thing in the van, and then we netted her and got her into a crate. But I mean, that was like, she was wrapped up and ready to go. It never happens. Tommy's retinas had detached most likely due to disease. The only disease that she tested positive for was uh, Lyme's disease, which she was treated for. Blind and unable to hunt, Tommy was also not a candidate for release and is a permanent resident of Big Cat Rescue. And you can see, I don't know, Justin, if you can explain her eye condition any better, but they kind of, they were bright red. One was bright red and one was bright green when she came. Well, at this point, there's just a lot of blood in the anterior chamber chamber in the front of the eye um, due to the detached retinas and we were never sure if it was from trauma or from disease. So we thought most likely disease. Uh, the ophthalmologist from Blue Pearl came out and that's what she thought as well. Um, his eyes never really got back to any one's almost normal. Right? Mm, well it's like a small pupil. Yeah. I don't know. They keep changing. It's really weird. Gator was eight weeks old when he was brought home by the family dog. He was found on a 4,000-acre ranch, emaciated and infested with ticks. The tick infestation was the worst I had ever seen, and by the time we brought him back to Big Cat Rescue, they were abandoning his body. They had pr pretty much sucked him dry, and they were just all over the place, crawling out of the crate. He was treated for fleas and ticks and dewormed. A couple of weeks spent in the cat hospital regaining his strength, and then he was captured for a physical exam, vaccinations, and then moved out to the rehab enclosure. And so this is the squeeze cage we use for a lot of that stuff. Uh, most of you have probably seen it, helped use it, but basically it's a small cage that we can get the animal into, and then the floor has handles connected onto it so that you can squeeze the cat up to the roof of the enclosure, pinning them between the roof and the floor. And that way you can do a minimal physical exam and you can give them vaccinations and really put the flea treatment on them very well. Copter, another eight-week-old male, was found orphaned on Captiva Island, a few hours south of Big Cat Rescue. The wildlife center that took him in wasn't equipped to rehab bobcats, and so their fish and wildlife inspector suggested they contact us. Gator and Copter were approximately the same age. They were housed in neighboring uh, enclosures connected with a tunnel, and using camera traps, we monitored their activity at the ends of the tunnel. 
We found that they were very playful towards one another. They would chase and stalk each other, but they couldn't get to each other because of the tunnel. But it seemed like they, they were accepting of one another. So we opened up the tunnel and we continued to monitor them with the cameras. An introduction like this was only possible because of their age. If they were two adult bobcats, they wouldn't want anything to do with each other. But they became best buds. <laughs> Gator and Copter were rehabilitated for eight months before being released. Thankfully, the property owners of the ranch in Gainesville were thrilled to have Gator back. And um, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Department granted a special permission for Copter to be released at the same location as Gator for two reasons. One, Captiva Island is very small and cannot support a great deal of predators. And being released along with Gator would give both bobcats a better chance at survival as they could team up to hunt. Um, once they reach maturity, they'll disperse from one another, but it was a good head start for them to both be released at the same time in the same place. And so Gator was the first to bolt right out of the crate towards the woods. Copter was a little more reluctant to leave. You can see him sticking his head out there. No bobcat has ever refused to leave the transport crate. We shook it, we turned it, we rolled it over, nothing worked. We tried moving the transport uh, crate closer to um, the woods, but we were pretty much at his mercy as to when he wanted to come out. We since have plans for a new transport crate that would have two doors, one on each side, so that if they don't come out, we could open the other door and push them out. <laughs> because we spent a good 45 minutes <laughs> trying to get them out of the box. <laughs> Finally, Copter got his courage and made a dash towards the woods. Some people said that they saw a Gator waiting at the edge of the woods for his buddy, so we hope that they met up again after that. Khaleesi was another eight-week-old. Um, she was found by a rehabber in Gainesville, which is two and a half hours north of us. She didn't know how to care for the bobcat, so she took it to the same facility Copter came from, two hours south of us. So they in turn called us, and we went and picked her up. So she made this huge long trip and eventually came to Big Cat Rescue. Um, she was treated for parasites, but was otherwise healthy. Um, she just required time to develop skills as a hunter. Here you can see um, how we catch the bobcats in the rehab enclosure to give them their vaccines or load them up into the transports. We use that squeeze cage and we butt it up to the guillotine door in between the two sections of their enclosure. And then we'll have a big group of people walk around the side that the cat's in. So the cat is used to going in either side of the enclosure. It wants to run away from the people and runs through the guillotine door. When it does, we shut it and it's in our special squeeze cage. Uh, we found through experience, if we tried to cover the squeeze cage, they would never go in it. They were afraid to go in this dark hole. They're used to seeing light through that doorway and running right through. So by keeping the cage completely open, they don't realize as quickly that there's a trap at the other side of the door. <laughs> Khaleesi was five months, uh, released five months later at the same location as Gator and Copter, and she was about seven months old. So this is my second favorite bobcat uh, how it was when we got there because it was still there. It was trapped in a fence so we actually 
catch it, <laughs> save it. Fencer was found by a homeowner entangled in the fence in his backyard. He was caught by just one toe. Fencer was exhausted, but when we approached, uh, he started thrashing around and became a danger to himself as he struggled. Um, so we decided to sedate him. We used a blow dart to do that. And because he was so stressed and his adrenaline was pumping, he fought the sedation and required multiple doses. Sedation drugs can only be transported and administered with, by a licensed veterinarian. So if you're interested in doing this type of work, you need to find a vet that will agree to be on call at all hours of the day and night. Lucky for us, Justin was able to, to come on that one. So here you can see he was caught by just that one toe. That's his claw sticking out. It was difficult to tell how he was actually caught in the fence because of the fur and the way the fence was wrapped. So we just cut him out of the fence. And he, he was not asleep when we did this. You could, you know, It's kind of hard to see, but this is after we had sedated him with two darts. In the middle picture, he's still looking up at us like he's going to kill us. <laughs> So we cut him loose from the fencing and loaded him into a transport uh, to take him to get a full exam and x-rays to clear him for release. The wire was twisted around Fencer's middle toe. Apparently he had climbed the fence. When, it, when he climbed the fence, his toe slipped into the twisting of the crossbars and it, it became the weight of his foot like pushed down on these bars. And then when he went to jump over it, it kind of snatched his toe. So the wire was removed, and he only had that small little cut on his toe. It really didn't look like a big deal at all. But during the struggle to free himself, he broke his metatarsal bone in his foot. So you can see those two little diagonal lines on the second bone in on that x-ray. As you can see from the x-ray, the bone is well supported on either side by the other metatarsal bones. So the best course of treatment in his case was just to give him cage rest because the only thing we would really do for something like that is put a splint on it, which he's going to chew off immediately. So the other bones would kind of act as a splint as long as we could keep him calm in the cat hospital for enough time for him to, to start to regrow some of that bone. Follow-up x-rays, you can see on the right how it's much more um, modeled, I don't know, like calcified. So it had started to fuse back together, that break. He spent four weeks in the cat hospital recovering and another week in a small outdoor enclosure. And that's one of those cases where we had to build an enclosure in a day, basically. <laughs> we didn't want him to go in the, the full-size enclosures because he might climb the wall, jump down, and then re-break his foot all over again. So we wanted him to have a very short enclosure to go into where he could move around a little bit, but not too much to give his foot a little bit more time to heal. He was not a happy patient. He was absolutely miserable in the cat hospital and outside. He spent all his time trying to escape. He would dig, pace, climb at the walls. So when we did the follow-up x-rays, we figured his fracture had healed well enough. He was just going to continue to stress himself out and hurt himself worse. So we released him about a month and a half after he originally came to us on 7,400 acres of land adjoining the location where he was originally found. So it was basically his home territory. He's <laughs> like, out of here. That was like the quickest one ever. <laughs> the 
The goal of the rehabber is to care for injured or orphan wildlife until they're able to take care of themselves. While doing this, ensuring the animal does not make, uh, become dependent on humans. In the end, releasing the animal back into the wild where it belongs. Each and every case is different and exciting. Rehab work is never boring, as you saw from all those different cases. You can also continue to get creative with enclosure design and feeding techniques. Wildlife rehabilitation is very rewarding work, but it is work. In order to provide the best veterinary care, rehab enclosures, quality diet, fundraising is an essential component to a successful program. Finding a local veterinarian that will agree to work with you. Seeking out a group of landowners and getting them involved with your work and build, working on building on those relationships so that um, you can continue to have release sites by inviting them to the releases, inviting them to see your rehab program and your enclosures and making them feel special. Also, documentation of protocols and daily care is very important. While we were designing our Bobcat rehab program, we found it difficult to find any information on how other operations worked. So by documenting our successes and failures and keeping track of timelines for teaching hunting skills, tricks we learned along the way, things that didn't work, we compiled enough data to basically hand over a package to any facility that asks us that says, here, this is exactly how you rehab a bobcat from day one to the day you release it. So that's all been um, very worthwhile, keeping track of all that. Our rehab program is my most favorite part of my work here. Uh, I love rescuing the cats that we are permanent residents that have been abused and abandoned, but it's sad to see them in a cage every day, watching them get older and knowing that they're never going to know what it's like to be free. So being able to put some of these cats back out into the wild and watching them run as fast as they can, it makes it all worthwhile.